Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Mike McLellan, who's Senior VP of Transportation at Kenko. And today we're going to talk about navigating the road ahead, transportation planning for 2020. Now, we all know that the, you know, the transportation market is cyclical with various factors impacting rates and capacity and, and service levels you know, across different modes. And you know, the market in 2019 was certainly different than it was in 2018. And um, you know, the market will likely change again in 2020. So um, what are the, some of the lessons learned from the past two years that shippers can apply as we head into this new year? Um, you know, how can, um, you know, what are some of the factors or trends that they should pay attention to and how can logistics service providers help shippers navigate through whatever, whatever changes are, are up ahead? Well, those are some of the key questions we're going to address in today's episode. And it's great to have Mike on the program to share his insights and advice on this topic. So Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here, Adrian. So, so Mike, we, we've had uh, many of your colleagues there at Kenko on, on talking logistics in the past. Uh, this is your first time. And. I always love before we dive into this topic about you know how to plan effectively for 2020. I always I'm always curious to learn how people got into this crazy industry that we're in to begin with. So why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path, how and why you got involved with you know supply chain and logistics and transportation, and, and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Kenko? Okay, absolutely. So my uh, I guess you could say my um, Affiliation with supply chain goes all the way back to my college days. So I graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in transportation and logistics, you know, way back in the mid 80s. Um, and then from there, just had a blessed career that gave me a lot of different opportunities and experience that I've been able to leverage as kind of I moved from, from one role to the next. So I started right out of college uh, in the mid 80s and um, went from there. I started at uh, at that time, it was uh, YFS Yellow Freight System, now you know, grown to become YRC. Um, and I was there for 10 years. I did a lot of, lot of different roles. Um, started in operations, went from operations um, at a number of different terminals at Big Break Bulk. I started at a, a Break Bulk in St. Louis, uh, went on to a number of smaller terminals uh, in operations. From there, went into industrial engineering. Um, and then ended up uh, in this in a sales role. So over that course of ten years, uh, my newly uh, wed wife at the time, and thankfully still my wife, uh, hung with me. We moved, I think it was seven times in our first nine years. So again, all going towards gaining great levels of experience, uh, learning how to, uh, as a kid right out of college, how to work with you know in maybe rough labor environments, the Teamsters when I was in St. Louis, to smaller end of the line terminals. And then moving more into like the analytical side on the industrial engineering side. So a great experience there. Went there uh, from there to uh, Schneider Logistics up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And um, was there for about five years and went, was there right at the start of Schneider Logistics uh, and that whole startup and participated in that startup. I think I was maybe the fourth or fifth person that they had uh, brought in and then spent five years at Schneider Again, various, various roles uh, in operations, uh, account management, also uh, worked a little bit on the IT side with our uh, transportation management system. Um, and then after about five years there, I left, left Schneider with a couple other gentlemen and started our own transportation management company called Concentric, uh, which was based over in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, 
if we had greater than an hour, I could tell you all the fits and starts of a Greenfield startup, but we went through a, uh, a Greenfield startup uh, out of an, in a transportation management field. And of course we chose the time to do it uh, in 1999 and 2000. So right when the dot-com bubble burst and market got really tough, uh, but we went through all the fits and starts of a startup. And uh, so we ended up selling the company to a global freight forwarding company called UTI in 2005. Um, and I was with UTI for about 10 years. Uh, got a call one night from uh, Gary Knight at Knight Transportation, who they were our uh, primary investors back in the days of Concentric. And uh, they wanted to try to move into the transportation management space. Um, and so asked me to come back and actually do what I did kind of the first time around with Concentric, but with a little bit different spin, this time being part of the Knight family uh, and, and starting a company, uh, starting a transportation management division up that really fit into strategically into their, into their portfolio. So I did that for a few years. We got that to the point where it was up and running. And then I uh, was approached with this opportunity here at Kenco where I am today. It was an opportunity to come into a company that's committed to really growing the, in the transportation space with sort of the three primary legs of transportation. As part of the team, we have an asset division that focuses on white glove, final mile delivery and dedicated services, uh, freight brokerage company or division, and then our transportation management group. So as the SVP here at Kenco, I uh, am responsible for that uh, business group or uh, company here at Kenco. Well, you know, a lot of uh, a, a lot of twists and turns, but a lot of great experience in, in the transportation realm. And you know, going back with a degree in, in related to transportation and logistics, going back to the '80s, you're probably one of the first to graduate with such a degree because you know back then there weren't you know this it wasn't as common as today to find you know supply chain logistics you know programs at the university level. Uh, so I, you know, most of the people I interview you know come out of like myself, they come out of either from an engineering background or manufacturing, or they just kind of fall into this industry from somewhere else. Uh, but to get a start, you know, right from the from, from an educational standpoint, uh, right in, in the logistics industry is, um, uh, you know, kind of unique, but obviously created a great foundation, you know, for you. Um, so, so, so you've been around the, you know, you've been around the block for, for a few years, let's just say, right? And, uh, been here a while. So, so, I mean, and like I said in my opening comments, I mean, the transportation market went through, you know, various ebbs and flow in, in 2018 and in 2019. I mean, as, as you kind of look at those two years, you know, the past two years, I mean, what, what, what do you think are the biggest lessons learned for shippers in particular from these past two years? Well, I think if you look back at 2018, so 2018, was sort of the mother load of all years if you're on the trucking side, where you had sort of all these uh, events, uh, the first go around of ELD implementation, uh, the economy heating up, uh, all these events kind of converging at one time to create a, uh, an environment for demand for transportation, uh, unlike probably any that we've seen in you know, recent years or maybe even longer than that. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the learnings is as fast as 218 sort of jumped on everybody and, and prices and uh, transportation prices spiked, they also then started at the end of uh, 2018 into 2019 started to cool off pretty quickly. And I think one of the learnings there is, gosh, with the, the, just the pace now that everything seems 
to happen. Where it used to be things were definitely cyclical um, and seem to move at a slower pace, it seems that everything now, and maybe it's because of the access to the data or what have you, but it just seems like everything now happens at an accelerated pace whether the mark within market changes. And my other comment would be, which is a little opposite of that, is like kind of like the more things change, the more things stay the same. So even though things happen maybe faster, uh, the responses were is could always be predicted. So 2018, great year to be in transportation if you're on the asset side or trucking side or, or brokerage side if you're providing transportation services. So what happens? Towards the end of 2018 and into 2019, everybody goes out and starts purchasing more trucks and adding capacity to match the demand. And then the demand dips a little bit and we're in an overcapacity situation and then rates go back the other way. The other thing I would say along that with rates is there's always going to be, and I think you see that it's almost like a sawtooth effect if you look at what rates do over the years. They go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. But in general, the trend is always one way, it's always up. Like it's always gonna trend up. And what I would say is, even though we had big rate increases that hit everybody in 2018, there's been rate decreases in 2019. We cert Those rates certainly have not gone back to 2018 levels. Um, and so that, again, that general trend is always gonna be up on the cost side. Uh, you, you've gotta be more than just a rate, being rate focused to really be on top and opportunities to capitalize within the market. Yeah, no, great, great insights. Of course, and when you look at, you know, if you compare 2019 to 2018, it looks like things are down. But if you compare 2019 to 2017, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're ahead of, you know, most metrics, 2019 is, is ahead of where it was in 2017. So, you know, this, this cyclical pattern, you know, uh, is certainly part, part of the market. I mean, I think one of my key takeaways is that, you know, it, it, it is cyclical, um, but it's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. So you really have to have the, the systems and the processes in place to really manage, you know, just like anything else. If you're, if you're, uh, you know, a surfer or you're out in the ocean, you know, you've got to be able to see when those waves are coming and, and be able to adjust accordingly so you can stay, you, you know, uh, on top of that board and not get, you know, uh, uh, pummeled over by, by a wave one way, one way or another. Um, so, so now as we head into kind of 2020, um, I mean, what, what are some of the, the things that shippers ought to be, you know, to, you know, keeping a pulse on, you know, yep. what trends or factors should they take into consideration as they try to figure out, you know, how things might evolve moving forward? So, so first and foremost, I think, and I think most shippers do this is, you know, you want to focus on what does capacity look like? I mean, you're going to look at it's a, it's a law of supply and demand. I learned that back way back at the good old Iowa State. And um, so what do we see? You know, so you always kind of look at, well, what's, what's, what's a de demand going to look like? And I think if you look at uh, where the economy seems to be going, I think in 2020, we're going to see steady, probably, you know, you're looking at 2 to 2.5% 2 GDP growth. Uh, so you're going to see steady growth. So then if you have that as a factor, you look and see, well, what, what is going to happen to capacity? And there's a few few things out there right now that um, I think could impact capacity. So one is uh, actually in a couple of days here on the 16th, phase two of the ELD mandate goes in. So then it will be in full effect. So I think there's going to be some impact there. Obviously not as great as what we saw uh, going into 2018, but I think we're still going to see some impact there. 
Uh, I think the other thing we're going to see uh, that could impact capacity is in January, the uh, alcohol drug and drug clearinghouse goes into effect. I think it's on January 6th. And again, I think that will have an could have an impact on uh, capacity. Where now uh, carriers are going to have full visibility when they're hiring to things like drug and alcohol abuse that they may not have had that visibility in the past. And so that may curb some of their hiring, uh, which goes to the third thing and kind of plays into that is just the amount of risk that carriers can take. So shippers are, are pushing more and more risk onto the carriers. Um, and then at the same time, insurance companies are squeezing carriers the other way. So we have, uh, you've got risk that's being pushed from shippers to carriers. And at the same time, insurance rates are going up significantly. So if you look at where insurance rates were, gosh, with the beginning of the decade of 2010 to where we are now, they've almost doubled. You know, they're up from six, an average $6,000 per truck to twelve dollars to $14,000 per truck. And that's a significant increase. And I think the other piece that goes with that, because more risk is being shifted to the carriers and the brokers from shippers, it also makes it, makes it tougher to get insurance. It, it's not, from an insurance perspective, trucking companies aren't that great of a, uh, of a have that their risk profile has gotten worse, which makes it tougher to get insurance, which is driving those rates back up. Yeah, those three factors are, I think, uh, uh, you're right, very, very important to keep a pulse on what's happening. Now, the insurance piece is kind of interesting because I hadn't really, you know, read much about that or thought, thought much about that. Now, when you say, you know, shippers are putting more risk onto the carriers, can you elaborate a little bit more on that or what, what you mean by that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, more to do with in terms of delineating out uh, liability, um, both in terms of cargo liability as well as just general, like, and what we would call auto liability, but that, you know, that if there's an accident that sort of happens, um, that's having a bigger impact, I think, on the non-asset side of the business in terms of where shippers now are looking at, at brokers and intermediaries really almost like as a carrier. Where back in the, back in the early days, the brokers would, were in a position to say, well, we're an intermediary but the risk is all on the carrier. They're the ones who are performing the service. And I think what has happened is now shippers are saying, well, you're the, you, you, the intermediary or broker, you're the ones who are selecting the carrier. You need to own that. You need to own that liability. That's not between me, the shipper and the carrier. That really is you who are selecting, you know, doing the selection of that carrier. Um, and so there's just a lot of push, uh, on again, asking the intermediaries to kind of assume more of that risk uh, than what has normally been, you know, been assumed. I think the other part that sort of drives to that is the advent of asset-based trucking companies moving into the brokerage space. So it used to be you're either a trucker or you're a broker, but you weren't both. And I think now we see uh, a lot of the, the larger trucking companies all have a pretty significant brokerage arm. Again, with their ability and their, st their strategy may be a little different, that what they wanna do is be able to provide capacity to their customers, whether it's their truck or partner carrier's truck. But to the, to the customer, it's just a carrier who's moving it, whether it's on their truck, again, or on a, on a third party carrier. But again, that has sort of shifted it for the non-asset based uh, providers who don't necessarily have the trucks, but 
because other people are willing to accept that risk. Now everybody needs to accept that risk to you know, be competitive. Yeah, no, but very interesting. I'm sure that will, uh, um, you know, that gets into, you know, really understanding, you know, some of the, the, the economics, if you will, of what carriers and now brokers and so forth are, are faced with, with things like insurance, you know, going up. And I think it, it relates to also, which is going to be part of my next question, you know, you always talk about the, you know, the relationship between shippers and carriers, the relationship between shippers and third-party providers. And, and it's, you know, we are, as analysts, we've always talked about, you know, the need to take a more collaborative, you know, approach to these relationships, uh, particularly, you know, if, if you're able to work together, take a more long-term perspective, be able to share risks and rewards more equitably and so forth, it's a, it's a win for everybody. But it sounds like, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that the more things change, the more things stay the same. I think, unfortunately, you know, you still have that, um, you know, that practice where you try to shift as much risk onto the other party, uh, and then you try to take it, you know, when the pendulum swings, swings in your favor, you know, you try to take as much advantage of that as, as much as possible. I think that type of behavior still, uh, you know, is, is still out there, and unfortunately, you know, uh, results in these feast or famine type of situations, both for the carriers as well as the, uh, as the shippers out there. Exactly. And ultimately will drive sort of more inefficiencies, whether it be cost, how you would measure that cost or what have you within the, you know, in the overall network or supply chain. Right, right. So, so, so let's talk about now, you know, um, in light of all this, I mean, what, what critical capabilities or, or attributes then must shippers have to successfully navigate the road ahead? Yeah. So what we focus on here with our group, um, is going back to my whole sort of the sawtooth example with the rates is what we'll try to focus on is what can we do or what can if you're a shipper what can you do as a shipper to take cost out true cost out of the supply chain so you absolutely have to manage rates and make sure that you're moving your goods at what are market competitive rates and that market is changing very rapidly and so you need to kind of keep a pulse on that obviously but the other piece of that that goes along with it is um, what can you do as a shipper, whether it be in your practices at a loading dock or around detention time or what have you to help eliminate risk or eliminate uh, waste that's in the supply chain? Um, if you were to look at the, at the productivity of an average you know, truckload driver, well, you look at a, the productivity of a, a driver in the Southern Cal or LA market or Chicago, they spend an awful lot of time sitting either in traffic or at shippers waiting to get loaded or unloaded. And that's all unproductive sort of time um, that again, just drives inefficiency uh, within the supply chain. So the first thing I'd say, Adrian, is what can you do within your network if you're a shipper to help eliminate waste? Maybe this goes back to my old industri dusty industrial engineering days, but eliminate waste out of the supply chain. And then the second thing I would say is because of the speed of change now in the market, everything just seems to be happen much faster. The cycles seem to be much quicker than they used to be is how can you stay on top of the data? There's so much data out there, which I think is part of the reason why things change because there's so much more information than we used to get. There's so much more information coming at you that people are reacting much faster, which drives change much faster. And I think a big piece of that is getting data, not only within your network, but having access to data that represents a broader network to really understand what's happening in the market 
and what those you know and and what those impacts are. No, two great two great points. I mean, with with the data piece, you know, certainly, you know, when I talk to shippers, you know, um, you know, a lot of interest in terms of. On the one hand, from a benchmarking standpoint, right? Understanding, hey, how how are we doing relative to others in the industry? So we might we might think we're doing well, but maybe we're not, you know, relative to how others are doing. So it's kind of having that visibility to data that helps them benchmark themselves better. And then, of course, there's a lot of on the technology side, a lot of uh, activity these days with real time freight visibility and getting that data and to see kind of what actual. Um, you know, from a from a day to day execution standpoint, making sure that they're able to meet their customer delivery requirements and so forth. There's also a wealth of data there that can help them determine which facilities are problem facilities facilities in terms of detention and so forth. It's kind of leverage that data for for continuous improvement uh, standpoint. You know, you mentioned detention, and you know, we did a survey here. Uh, you know, with our Indago. Uh, research community, which is a community of supply chain logistics practitioners, and we one of the questions that we asked was around detention, and whether they're seeing uh, uh, the rate of detention charges increasing over the past you know two or three years, and, and the majority of our members said yes. And when we asked, well, what what do you think is causing that, or what what's the root cause of that? Um, you know, one of the key things that came up was actually a labor issue, meaning that a lot of times uh, their warehouses, their DCs, aren't properly staffed. Um, so, you know, the truck shows up as, as scheduled, but because they're understaffed at, you know, the, the warehouse is, uh, is behind schedule. And so, uh, a lot of times it's just being able to communicate between what's happening at the DC or the distribution center, being able to plan effectively the labor there, uh, and then being understanding what's coming from manufacturing as an example. So it's, it's a lot of disconnect, a lot of, you know, the, the things that we always talk about operating in silos. So manufacturing doesn't talk to distribution. The, the distribution center and then the distribution center doesn't really talk to transportation or the carriers and you've got all this disconnect there that ultimately is part of the big reasons why you end up with that um, you know that detention so to your point absolutely to your point really taking a step back and maybe doing some of this analysis to see where the waste is and trying to go after those root causes is a key you know key area here yeah and i think the the next phase that you're seeing i mean i've got uh one son in college and one who will be in college next year, and they're both are moving into data and analytics and predictive analytics. I think that's the will be the next step is how do you use all of this data and then do some predictions. So, for example, we at Kenco here have a supply chain solutions group um, made up of like super smart people, like way smarter than this guy from Iowa, and uh, we're a, we're now focused. We have a team that focuses on big data and analytics, and how do we take all of this data and use it to help our customers? And so we had a project with a customer last year, kind of a pilot, to do exactly what you had talked about, Adrian, around using their order data that was coming in and then forecasting what the labor should be to meet that so that we didn't get in that predicament of we didn't have enough people planned to work because we didn't know or we didn't anticipate a spike in volume. Uh, and it was a very successful pilot. And so we're really growing that sort of level of expertise here. And I'm excited because we're actually gonna leverage some of that expertise and those smart folks with uh, our transportation team around using some of that same sort of technology and a capability of taking data from multiple sources. So data that from transportation that we're managing within our network, data from larger data sources within the marketplace, and then using that to do some predictive analytics to help us and help our customers. And I think that 
that is the sort of the next piece of not only being able to look, go look, use data to look backwards to make improvements, but using it to look forward and then and make changes before they even become you know, an issue even uh, happens. So that's a great example. That, that's a great example. That, that's a I'm great sorry. example, and I think you know it. It, it was, kind of leads me to, to my next question because I think a lot of times when you think about logistic service providers, uh, you know, a lot of folks still have this outdated view that it's it's just about warehouses and trucks, right? And in reality, when you look at you know providers such as yourselves and the, you know the leading players out there, um, you know what you bring to the table is you know a combination of services, technology and consultant or human IP, right? And, and exactly. it's really what shippers are looking for today is, is that combination of all three of those things. So my, my question was gonna be, which you partially answered already, is you know, how, how can logistic service providers help you know, shippers navigate through the, the changes in the markets? Obviously, leveraging your human IP and technology to do some of this business intelligence and analytics piece is one key, piece, one key area. Well, how, what other ways can logistic service providers help? Absolutely. So I think there's the whole data piece that I talked through, but then there's still also what I would say on the execution side. So the ability then, once you're once you then can take that data and analyze it, either looking back or looking forward, then how do you do you have the capability then to operationalize that? So I talked about like taking cost out of a supply chain. So if we can do analysis on someone's supply chain and see, boy, there's a great opportunity to do basic consolidation, L, you know, moving LTL shipments into truckload shipments, you know, a truckload shipment is going to cost somewhere around six to eight cents a pound and an LTL shipment is going to cost 16 to 18 cents a pound. So anytime you can do that kind of a mode shift, but you have to be able to take what comes out on the paper. So what the smart guys can model and then be able to execute on that. The second piece on the execution side, I'd say is again, here at Kenko, we're very heavily focused on quality. We have the Kenko operating system that we use on all three of our business segments, the warehousing, our materials handling group, and our transportation group. And again, all that really is focused on is best practices and continuous improvement. So again, kind of maybe going back to my, the more things change, the more uh, things stay the same. That sure sounds an awful lot like Deming from the mid, you know, mid 80s around Plan, Do, Check, Act, and continuous improvement. But again, I think a 3PL is that person who, because that's our business, that's where we're gonna dedicate our dollars, our investment, are in those kind of folks who can do predictive analytics and in those kind of, those teams that can really focus on continuous improvement and driving the driving our business and our customers' business forward. Yeah, no, I, I love that because, uh, you know, I came out of an engineering background, but I, I started my career at Motorola, right? So, which is very, very well known for Six Sigma, right? And, yep. and, and, and of course, lean manufacturing and so forth. So, I mean, a lot of those, you know, principles that have been around for a long time are as valid today, if not more than, than ever before in helping to find those sources of waste. And, and I think what, what you've said all along is that I think one of the benefits of today is that we actually have a lot more data. Um, and, and insight into areas that were maybe more black holes in the past. Um, you know, you, you also get the challenge that you may have too much data sometimes, or you, that's right. you know, so that's a different. That's a topic for a different uh, episode. But but you know, if you do have the right data, um, we have more of the right data today. Um, you're able to you know focus in on these um, opportunities to drive uh, you know improvement. Um, you know, Mike, we're running short on time here, so I'm just going to go right to to my last question. I mean, as as a okay. way to wrap up, I mean, what what is the smartest 
thing that a shipper can do moving forward to, to position, you know, position themselves for success? And, and conversely, what's the biggest mistake they can make? So I think the, the smartest thing is to the extent you have the resources and, and what your strategies are is really look to find data. There's all this data out there. Uh, there's so much material available you know, on the internet and, and various things like that. But take the, it's so easy to get sucked into the day-to-day and not sort of, I, I heard a great speaker once, um, who, it was at the early, uh, kind of the early foundings of Disney. And one of the sayings he had was, you know, you, sometimes you may not recognize that what you see as the horizon is just the wagon rut that you're standing in. And I think that part of like setting time aside, and it's, it could be hard, but find that time to look at data, both your own internal sort of operational data, but also all the data that's out there to help you understand what's going on in the marketplace so you can be in a position uh, to react uh, as quickly as possible. And I guess the, the converse of that would be, you know, to operate like you did 10 years ago within your network where things were changing much slower and you were focused strictly on rates and shifting moving that bubble of inefficiency within a supply chain, just handing that ball to someone else to have to carry uh, as opposed to focusing on how do we get, just get rid of that waste entirely. And I think that's the big shift. I think the shippers who continue to just shift the risk and shift the additional costs onto their carriers or their partners in the long run are going to end up on the short end of the stick because they're at the end of the day, as we get move forward and, and, you know, drivers get scarcer and scarcer and have more say in the type of uh, customers that they want to work with and shippers they want to work with, the shipper who they go and have to sit four hours to get loaded or unloaded, those are the folks who are probably going to lose in the long run because they're the ones who aren't going to be able to find a truck or are going to end up paying a premium for it. Because again, this data is now available to those carriers. And again, maybe back in the day, they didn't clearly understand it, but now we have the technology on the carrier side to be able to track down to an individual location what that detention is and how much inefficiency they're causing and then either adjust rates or choose not to do business with that shipper. So I think that would be the biggest mistake is to kind of, again, focus more on that shifting of risk and shifting of inefficiency as opposed to like what you talked about earlier, how do we work collaboratively and take actual take that waste out of our supply chains. Absolutely. Well, great, great advice and, and insights there, uh, Mike. And you know, I can I can always say at the end of all our episodes, uh, you know, we always just manage to scratch the surface on these topics. And certainly, you know, the transportation we we can spend you know two day, we could spend a two day conference talking about the transportation market and the road ahead and how to succeed and everything going on in this industry. But you provided some great insights and advice. So again, thank you for making the time to be with us today. Yep. No, thank you very much, Adrian. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the uh, Kenco website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Mike, you can post it there. And I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in the future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.